Amen. Thank you so much, worship team, for getting things going this morning. How's everyone feeling today? Good? Good? Well done getting to the first service on a cold and soon-to-be rainy day. I feel like yesterday was like the last call, right, for okay weather. Even though it was windy, the sun came out for a little bit, uh, but I feel like it's all downhill from here. Am I right? <laughs> so good job getting up, getting motivated, and I hope you brought your Bible. We are going into Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Last week, we started a new topic in the book of Ephesians. And do you remember, what did, what did we start talking about last week? The armor of God. The armor of God. We are going to stay there for a few weeks. And so, for those who are here, and we've got several people joining us online as well, awesome. Get your Bibles open to Ephesians 6, verse 14. Um, we're going to talk about the armor of God for like another couple of weeks after this. And the reason is because there's so much that we can cover here. But what we learned last week was we have to get ready for war. We have to get ready for a fight. Because when we set our hearts to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, we are going to be attacked. We started talking about spiritual warfare and what it means to have God's armor in defense, and today we're going to take three pieces of this armor and start looking at what it means to put on the armor of God. Let me begin by sharing a story. I, I, uh, we're probably all watching more screens now than we would like to, right? But I started watching a show on Netflix called The Last Dance. It's about Michael Jordan and the Bulls, right? How many of you have seen that series called The Last Dance, right? And I got all nostalgic because it's about the Bulls winning their six championships take that LeBron, six championships right back in the day, and I was a kid back then, so I cheered him on every step of the way, and uh, here's a picture of Jordan, and, and so, so then I, I remembered when, when this was happening, if you didn't live in Chicago, it was just unbelievable, and children particularly wanted to wear everything Jordan wore, right, give me a Jordan jersey, give me those shorts, give me that sweatband on the knee and, and on the elbow, whatever, and the shoes, and like head to toe, if I look like him, then maybe, just maybe, I can play like him, right? I can jump, and it doesn't always work out that way, but we wanted to be like Mike. So I was, I was really blown away recently when I saw online that this very jersey went up for sale on auction. Jordan wore it, wore it for two games, uh, in the 1998 finals, he wore it for two games. Sometimes he would trash talk and say when he would go to play in another city, like in elimination rounds or whatever, he'd just bring one jersey because he didn't think he'd have to play two games, right? So he wore the same jersey for two games, and they auctioned it. Get this, it sold for $240,000. That! Why? Because he wore it. And I can wear it or display it in a, you know, frame frame. Or wear it. We wanted to wear everything that he wore and to look like him. Now listen, we're learning about the armor of God. And what we're learning is Jesus went off to battle. And he defeated, not the Pacers, Satan and sin and death. And then he rode back victorious, the champion of the universe. And now he hands you, better than a Jordan jersey, God's armor. God's armor. Price tag? It's priceless, but it's free. And it can be yours, and if you have it, why on earth wouldn't you wear it? 
Let's learn about the armor of God, but let's pray first. Jesus, thank you that you give us the great victory over sin and Satan and death. Thank you that you share God's armor with us so that we can stand victorious on the field of battle. Show us what it means to be clothed head to toe in your righteousness. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Uh, here's what it says. It says, well, we'll start where we uh, picked up last week. Verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Then it goes on in verse 14 to say this, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So the first one you can jot down is this, put on the belt of truth. Put on the belt of truth. If you have the app, you can take notes on the app. If you're also viewing from home, you can print the notes in advance. They're available on our website and on our app. But being an engaged listener is good, so write that down. Put on the belt of truth. Now this whole point, I am going to simply defend the fact that Christians are even willing to wear a belt of truth. We live in a day where the idea of truth has been completely disregarded. So to say put on the belt of truth, today the response we would get is, what is that and why are you wearing it? Have your kids ever come out in the morning, parents of young children, have you looked at them and said, what is that and why are you wearing it? How many of you have said that to your children at some point? Where? Okay, either that doesn't go together or where did you even find that? If you go out in today's world wearing the belt of truth, people are going to say, what is that and why are you wearing it? Why is that? Well, there's a few reasons. We live in what's called the post-truth era. It's very ironic that after the information age comes the post-truth era. We have more information than ever before and less truth. How did that work? In fact, Oxford's word of the year in 2016 was post-truth. Is that even legal? If it has a hyphen? Post-truth was the word of the year for 2016. Post-truth. Time asked a question long ago, is God dead? And recently one of their covers to their magazine said this. We'll put that up there. Is truth dead? Is truth dead? The implication is yes. Uh, when it comes to truth, our world would say it's dead and it's gone and we're very limited in our understanding of truth. Now that hasn't stopped our culture from seeking truth or from seeking to impose truth on other people. <clears throat> so how does our culture handle this idea of truth? Well, fundamentally we live in an anti-supernatural era, which means Science is the primary source of what can be known, and if it's scientific, it's at the top of the hierarchy of what can be known, and if it's not scientific, it automatically goes to the bottom. And therefore, objective physical knowledge that can be reproduced in a lab becomes kind of the uh, currency of truth. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Christians 
Actually, if you look back in history, it was out of a Christian cradle that the modern scientific movement was born. You needed things that Christians had, like a rational frame of mind, the fact that the universe is physical, that it came into being, that it operates according to laws. All those things are not actually found in many other worldviews and cultures. It's not an accident that the scientific revolution sprang out of the Great Awakening, uh, <clears throat> the, the uh, Reformation. And so when it comes to science, we don't have a problem with science. We are pro-truth in all of its forms. The problem comes when you say that only science can reveal the truth. It's really only science. And if we can't find it or understand it or define it scientifically, then it must not be true. It could be something else, like opinion or faith, but just don't call it truth. And when it comes to knowledge, yes, science can tell us a lot. But science is very limited in its ability to tell us true things. For example, origin. Where did everything come from? The laws of science break down when you go back to the very beginning of our universe, and science can't peak one second before time began and tell us how everything came into being. It just can't answer that question. What about meaning? Why are we here? There is no lab experiment that can reproduce that accurately. Why are we here? Morality, what is right and what is wrong? There are moral truths, and science cannot tell us moral truths. And what about destiny? What happens after we die? Well, there's just simply no way to go and do an experiment and come back scientifically. And so because science can't answer these questions, then they automatically assume, because there's a bias, because there's a bias that we simply can't answer these things or, or they just can't be known objectively or that those truths don't exist. We would say there are moral truths and we would say there are spiritual truths and they would say, fine, just don't call it truth. Call it opinion or call it faith, but you can't call it truth. That's the day in which we live. But we believe there are moral truths and we believe there are spiritual truths and that's why we put on the belt of truth. Let me share with you what we believe about truth. You can jot this down. We believe truth is absolute, not relative. When we talk about spiritual realities and moral realities, we believe that what is true is true for everyone. The uh, world around us will tell you pluralism is actually the way to process different views of spiritual, spirituality and morality, meaning Two things can be true at the same time, even if they contradict each other. Whatever religion you believe in is fine because it's true for you. And they would just eliminate all need to come up with a rational, non-contradictory uh, framework of spiritual or moral truths. But we believe that truth is absolute, not relative. What that means is this. We don't allow for a contradiction. We don't just say, well... Two things that are completely different can be true at the same time, and we're just good with that. We don't allow for that because we would say that's not truth. You have to pick one. Unless you want to completely abandon a rational worldview, you have to pick one when two truths are set opposed to each other. When it comes to other religions, Islam teaches that Jesus didn't die on the cross. Every Muslim believes that Jesus didn't die on the cross. Now, is that what you believe? No. Is that the same thing? No, it's very different. So we have to pick one. 
We can't live in this world where suddenly Jesus, sure, he did die on the cross, and sure, he really didn't, and that's okay, and then call it rational or loving. It's neither rational nor loving. Either Jesus did die on the cross, and we have to deal with that spiritual, historical reality, or he didn't. But you can't say they're both true, and you can't say that they both believe the same thing, because that's not true. In Hinduism, they teach that heaven comes after countless reincarnations, countless reincarnations, and each reincarnation is tied directly to your moral performance. And after countless reincarnations in this life, then maybe you're lucky enough to to experience their form of heaven. Well, the Bible teaches that man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. They can't both be true at the same time. You can't say, well, I believe in millions of lives. Okay, well, I believe in one. Okay, well, they're both okay, <laughs> based on whose measure of, of judgment. You can't believe two, non, two contradictory things can be true at the same time, and they're not the same. How many of you have heard people say, well, all religions basically teach the same thing? They're just, they're just kind of the same. They're, they're fundamentally the same. No, I believe in one life and one judgment, and millions of lives and judgments is not what I believe. It's very different from what I believe. I believe Jesus died on the cross and was raised on the third day, and he now rules heaven and earth. Oh, well, that sounds exactly the same as Buddhism, and they believe that the universe actually doesn't even exist when you peel away all the layers. Oh, no, that's very different from what I believe. Now, I'm not saying that those views are wrong based on what I'm saying. I'm just showing you, I can demonstrate why Christianity is right and those views are wrong. But what I'm saying is this, they're not the same. And they can't be true at the same time. And therefore, truth is absolute, not relative. And someone who says, well, you, whatever you believe is just true for you. We, that's not the way the Bible deals with truth. Truth is absolute, it's not relative. Jot this down. Truth is re revealed from above, not discovered from within. It's revealed from above, not discovered from within. The world will say, well, what does your heart tell you? In other words, look here. Look here for the truth of your identity. Look here for the truth of your morality. Look inside for the truth. All of it is in there. You just need to unlock it, unleash it, discover it, and then live it out. And, and that's seen not as the most true form of you, but the most loving way to treat someone is to say, whatever you've discovered in there, I am cheering you on. Now we would say that's not truth and that's not love. Really, the world has a very warped understanding of love. In today's day, love is really you loving yourself as I cheer you on. And if I, heaven forbid, should say something true that goes against what you are feeling about yourself, then I am absolutely a hateful person. Is that really the greatest form of love? I'm loving me, and don't you dare get in the way of it. That doesn't sound like love, does it? That doesn't sound like love. I'm loving myself, and you're loving yourself, and we'll just do that together. It's like this consensual narcissism, isn't it? That's what it is. That's all it is. And if you get in the way of me really discovering and celebrating and becoming who I am, then you are the most unloving person on earth. And we would just say, that's not love. That's not love because love needs truth. And so truth is revealed from above. It's not discovered from within. We believe the physical world is actually an expression of a mighty creative spiritual being who's intelligent 
And you look to the origin, even what science tells us, and it was a smart bomb that went off. From the first nanosecond, very intelligent things were taking place. Okay? And if you believe in what the world says about a, uh, there was no God from the beginning, you have to ask, where did baby universe get a brain? All right? Because he was flying and he was on fire and somehow he figured out how to put everything together like that. It was a smart bomb that reflected an intelligence that transcends the sum of, of it all. God is intelligent. It required a power beyond all the power measurable in this universe, and God is capable of manufacturing a cosmos. And it required a free will. Why did the universe come into existence when it did, and for the purpose it did, and with the calibrations it did? There was a will. There were decisions being made. So the beginning requires great intelligence, great power, and a great will, and we would say that's a God. That's a God. And therefore, God must disclose himself, if he exists outside of this world, and his will, and his moral law. He must reveal it all to you. So Christians, we don't ask, well, what is your heart telling you? We say, no, what is your creator telling you? We don't say, well, what is everything we've discovered on earth? We say, no, what has heaven revealed to us? Because we believe that this is an aftershock of something that originated in the spiritual realm. Jot this down. Truth is a person, not a personal opinion. Put on the belt of truth. Truth is absolute, not relative. It's revealed from above, not discovered from within. And truth is a person. It's not personal opinion. Because there is a God who created everything, we can have a rational frame of reference, but it's also personal. It's personal. And truth, we find in the Bible, is found in a relationship with God. It's knowing Him. And in knowing Him, we can understand His will and His plan for all of the matter and the particles. Truth flows from God's nature. Love flows from God's nature. So in knowing Him, we know it all. And Jesus came to the Father full of grace and full of truth. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. He is therefore a divine being, the source of all spiritual wisdom and understanding, God with us. God with us. And so God's plan, God's moral law, God's purpose, and his redemption and our destiny are all bound up in the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And the truth and the truth. So do you have on the belt of truth? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the one who came down from heaven to earth? That he's a divine being who lived before he lived? That when he said, and now, Father, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world began that he's a creator. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the truth? Is he your truth? Is he the only truth? And do you believe he should be everyone's truth? Then you're wearing the belt of truth. And you need the belt of truth because it holds the rest of the armor together. All right, if you go into battle without the belt of truth, everything else is going to be falling off. All right? And so we have to have on the Lord Jesus Christ as our truth. And the Bible warns us in Romans 1, do not exchange the truth of God for a lie. Do not exchange the truth of God for a lie. Hey, listen, if I had a Jordan jersey and you came up to me and said, I've got a really nice Calvin Klein sweater, I wouldn't trade. Hey, let's trade. No, I don't care what you have. You're not getting it. And look, you've got the armor of God. And when the world comes up to you and they're like, no, 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 there's this new thing, there's this smart guy, there's... no, trade. I'm not trading the armor of God. Number one, put on the belt of truth. 
It's absolute. It's revealed from above. It's a person. Number two, write this down, put on the breastplate of righteousness. So we got our head, we got our belt on, and now we've got our chest covered, the heart, right? Put on the breastplate of righteousness. It says here that we are to take up the whole armor of God. Verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So here's a picture we showed last week of a centurion, a Roman centurion. And when Paul wrote this to the church in Ephesus, this is what they would have thought of. And I pointed out last week that if this man ran at me and tried to hurt me, I would scream and run. That's all I would do. Okay, I would scream and run. You would scream and run too. Because he's armed, he's dangerous, and where could I hurt him? Am I going to, like, scratch him on the forearm? Like, he, he's covered in armor, and he's really mad. And so his chest is covered, and if he didn't have that chest covered, my goodness, you know, one thrust and he's gone. This is the idea. If you don't have your armor on, if you don't have righteousness covering your heart, one thrust and you're done. Satan can take you out. Now, what does this armor of God portray? What does this breastplate of righteousness portray? Righteousness means being legally right in God's sight. The question is this. When you stand before God in his high court of heaven, will you be right in his sight? Will you have qualified and met all of his criteria, or will you be condemned as a transgressor? Will you be a lawbreaker, or will you have kept all of the requirements? When you get up to heaven and you cross those pearly gates and they ask you to produce everything required to show that you are qualified to enter heaven, will you be able to lay it all out or will you be turned away? Righteousness is required. So my daughter Cassie uh, has been counting down the minutes to getting her license. She's already 16 but she didn't get her permit until nine months ago, January, uh, or whatever it was, the 17th. Was it February? And, and so she says, I can get my license this Saturday. Saturday. And so Friday night, Lauren and I are rummaging through all of the file folders because the DMV website says you need something from A, B, C, and D. We've got a chart. And we're like, all right, A, B, C, C. We couldn't find something from C. Where is it? And we couldn't find her social security card. So we looked and looked and looked and looked. And finally we said, well, it says you can also bring in this instead of that. So we had this folder full of stuff. And I, I've been to the DMV, all right? And I think they take great delight in turning you away. <laughs> like you get up there and they start looking through your stuff. And I, I think it's a game to them. And they're like, hmm. I was at the DMV once before. And my signature from when I was like 12 didn't match my adult signature. And they're like, mm, it doesn't match. And I'm like, what do you mean it doesn't match? It doesn't match. And I was like, I failed twice. And then she pulled out a third one and she said, make this look like that. And I'm like, okay. It's high pressure, right? And now the lines are crazy because they can't fully staff the DMV. They have every other window full. So we heard horror stories. So yesterday morning, we got up 5.30 a.m. DMV opens at 7.30. We got there at 6.30. It's like 35 degrees out. We've got our camp chairs and our blankets. It's like we're waiting for an iPhone, right? And we get out there, and there's already 130 people in line at 6.30 a.m. And we sit down, and that cold wind is just going right through my clothes. I'm just like, oh. 
And we keep moving up slowly, slowly, slowly. And then we realize we forgot something in the file. Cassie goes, where's my, my hour log? So you got to write down how many hours she drove. And I'm like, <gasps> so we call Lauren. You got to get her quick. You got to bring the log because we don't have the log of the hours. And so finally we get up there and we get up to the counter. It, it, it took four and a half hours, four and a half hours. Okay. We get up to the counter and she's, all right, well, show me your stuff. We open the folder and it's like, here you go. You know, we're like frostbitten. Here you go. And she goes, okay, A, B, C. And she goes, okay, you don't have the social security card? No, we don't have the social security card. But we've got this. Oh, okay. And she goes, well, I don't have a proof of signature. I need a proof of signature. And I grabbed a bank debit card and flipped it over. And she goes, oh, well, you do have a proof of signature. I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> No one's turning away my daughter after four and a half hours. And so finally, it's like she was looking for any reason to turn us away. And she's like, thank you. <laughs> and so my daughter went out, took her road test, and she now has her license. How about that? Isn't that great? Yeah. Wow. Now look, put yourself in that moment where you're standing to get into heaven do you have this? Do you have this? Do you have this? And listen, you need to establish that you are perfect in righteousness. Here's the thing. Nothing you grab from on earth can get you in. The only way you're getting in is if you grab the resume of the Lord Jesus Christ and scratch his name out on top and write your name and say, here you go. Plagiarism is your only hope. <laughs> but I went to church... You have to put on the breastplate of righteousness, which means the Lord Jesus Christ establishes you in righteousness. Here's a picture of a courtroom. There will be a judgment, and you will be put on trial. And the gavel will fall, and where God declares you will go, you will go for eternity. Listen, where God declares you will go, when that gavel falls, then your eternal state is sealed forever. And if you are found to be perfect in righteousness, you will go into heaven. If you are found to be a breaker of God's law, you will not. And you're right. You cannot merit heaven on your own. Now, we know this, and so we try some faulty ways of qualifying ourselves for heaven. Jot this down. Religion can't save us. Religion can't save us. Religion doesn't make you righteous. If you go up before God's bench, his throne, and you say, well, look at all the spiritual things I've done for you, God. Here's, here's my Awana sash, or here's my CCD certificate, or here's the saint report I wrote. It doesn't matter how high that pile gets, your pile of sin is higher. Religion cannot take away your sin debt, your crimes. Criminals can't stand before an earthly judge and say, but I gave a lot to charity. You ran over your boss. Well, he was a really bad guy. Fine, I'll go give more to charity. That's not the way it works. You can't smother good frosting on lawlessness and say that we're somehow even. And you can't add up religious works and make yourself righteous. Self-effort is what all major religions rely on to solve spiritual problems. Self-effort can't solve your spiritual problems. We rely on the fact that Jesus Christ went off to battle, and he had righteousness on. And therefore, when Satan accused him, he failed. 
And when Jesus died, he was vindicated because he was a righteous man. And God raised him up and exalted him. And Jesus himself is now the judge standing at the door. And therefore, when you come into judgment, you've got to wear his jersey. You've got to put on the armor of Christ and say, he did it for me. You can't pile up your religious deeds. Jot this down. Good behavior can't save us. Well, I'm doing my best. Abdu Murray is an apologist, and he defends the faith, and he said this, the fastest growing religion on earth is good personism. Good personism. I'm a good person. Better than my sister. Better than my co-worker. I'm good. I'm better than other people. Good behavior can't save us. And if we're honest, what we're good at is hiding our sins, right? That's what we're good at. We're good at getting away with things. I saw a picture of, you know, kids are home now a lot because of e-learning, and I saw a picture of a mom who found a way to get away with eating her snacks, her unhealthy snacks, while her kids are in the house. Check it out. Here's how she gets away with eating her snacks while her kids are in the house. She said, me as a parent trying to hide my snacks from the unemployed lazy people in my house, feeding her kids. I'm eating healthy. It's the same with us. We, we let people see what we want them to see, but we hide our sin, and we can't hide it forever. Hey, listen, have you admitted the truth about your moral track record? You'll never be good enough to enter into heaven. And whatever good deeds you've done, the Bible calls them filthy rags because of all the sin that we have done. We can't hide our sin forever. And we say this often in our church, good people don't go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Who goes to heaven? Saved people go to heaven. Are you a saved person? Well, I'm religious. Nope. Well, I'm good. Nope. Are you saved? Therefore, jot this down. Only Jesus can save us. Only Jesus can save us. The Bible teaches that we are hopeless and we cannot earn God's favor. Therefore, Jesus must accomplish the impossible. And he did it. He went off to battle. He alone is the righteous one. And because he was righteous, he prevailed in the fight. And therefore, if you want to prevail on the day of judgment, if you want Satan to have nothing to accuse you with, nothing to condemn you for, you need to put on the armor of God and say, this belongs to the one who defeated death, and he gave it to me. It's his. That's your only hope of getting in. Only Jesus can save us. Theologically, this is called imputed righteousness. You've heard before that Jesus takes away your sins, right? You've heard that. He takes away all of your sins. That's true. Whatever sins you've done, he takes them away. But that just brings you back to a zero balance. What's even better is he then gives you perfect righteousness so that all of your F's are gone and you have an A in God's grade book. It's as if you've always done everything perfectly. And that's what's required of you when you go before the gates of heaven. Please produce identification that establishes you are a person who is perfect in righteousness and you won't ruin heaven for everyone else. If you get your grades out, you're going down. If you put Jesus' resume up there, you're getting in. Only Jesus can save us. Has Jesus saved you? Or are you relying on your own religion or your own effort? Number one, put on the belt of truth. Number two, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Number three, write this down, put on the shoes of the gospel. The shoes of the gospel. It goes on to say this, 
Verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Gospel in the Greek means good news, so we'll call them the shoes of good news. Do you have on the shoes of good news? In other words, are your feet fitted for battle? When it comes to shoes, I'm a runner, so I know shoes, and I brought a few of my uh, running shoes here with me to, to explain to you when shoes are important just how important they are. So running shoes are over $100. And it's because when you're out there pounding away at your feet, your knees, your ankles, your shins for, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready for a marathon now, so my next run is going to be 20 miles. I'm going to be out there for close to four hours in my long runs before the marathon, right? And so every single step, if you're not wearing good shoes, it starts to pound away at your feet. And if you get injured, even the smallest injury will start to just uh, to just nag away and chip away at your will, and then finally, you won't be able to go any further. So even though these are really good shoes, you can see they're starting to wear out on the bottom, so I added a little reinforcement with duct tape. <laughs> you know, so I, I get them ready, and I, I go out for my run on Monday, and within the first two miles, my feet are pounding and pounding and pounding, and my big toes are throbbing, and I had to stop. I had to stop and turn back. I think I stretched wrong, but I kind of hobbled my way all the way back. And I'm like, if I can't make it two miles, I'm not going to make it 19. I got all the way back, and then I took it easy for the week. Why? Because I can't get anywhere without my feet. And so I've got these really good shoes. And I know what you're thinking. Running shoes are, are really ugly, aren't they? Like, they're bright. They're gaudy. Check out these shoes. These are the Nike Pegasus running shoes, right? Check these out. You can see me coming from five miles away. That's the point, because runners don't want to get hit by a car, right? See my shoes? Do you see them? <laughs> yes, you have to see them. I can't see anything. Your shoes are blinding me. But these are engineered to go the distance so that you can run a long way. Now, as a runner, I know what happens if I don't have the right shoes on my feet. I'm not going to make it very far. That's the point. As a soldier, if you don't have the right shoes on your feet, you're not going to make it far. So we need the gospel in our life like we need shoes, boots, that are taking us out to battle. And the gospel of peace means the good news of the peace of Jesus Christ. Our feet will be fitted with these. And, and there's a few nuances here. Jot this down. We are ready to stand firm for the faith. If you have the shoes on, that means that you have convictions. That means that you're not loosey-goose with the truth. You are standing firmly on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't kind of believe it. You don't a little believe it. You don't think it's a happy thought for a few people who find it. You are standing firm on the gospel for the faith. That means that you're not moving off of it. Slipping, slipping away is a portrait of losing your gospel footing, and you can fall away into false teaching or false living. But that means you've slipped, you've fallen, you've fallen away. Here's a video of a guy who went out to go to work and he didn't realize that his driveway had iced over. Check out what happened. And Secker was not expecting ice on his Virginia driveway. So he slipped and he slid the whole way down desperately as you see trying to stop. Oh, down he goes. I want to see that again. He fell just before Here he goes. Now his wife caught the whole thing on camera and then she posted He's the whole going, thing. going, going. Car is coming. Black ice is real. Was Boom! You didn't get hurt, so we can laugh now. But spiritually, I want you to realize that if you don't have the right shoes on, this is you. This is you. You are going to fall away. Fall. What happened to her? She fell away. What happened to him? He 
fell away. Why? Wasn't wearing his shoes. In other words, you didn't have your convictions tied down tightly. And so the world just pushed you. You, you were a cow on ice. And the world just pushed you over. But are you ready to stand firm for the faith? What do Christians do instead? Well, we cave. We cave. We cave to worldly teachings. Or we crave. We crave worldly indulgences. Whether we cave or whether we crave, that's how we're pushed away. Do you have your feet firmly planted on the truth of Christ? Are you ready for the battle of your life? There were protests in Venezuela recently, and here's this picture that came up, and I had to laugh, because all these guys came out here to protest in Venezuela, and they were fighting the law. And as I looked at this picture, I thought, they are not ready. So check out this guy. He's not wearing shoes. I circled it for you so you can see it. And the guy next to him is wearing Crocs. Let's go! This guy's got... And then I found out that the guy who's not wearing shoes at all, check out where he put them, he tucked his flip-flops into the back of his pants. You see that? And then I realized the guy above him is wearing a Mickey Mouse backpack. Like his kid's backpack. And so I just drew a few on this last picture, a couple of Mickey Mouse ears on there to show you that these men are not ready for battle. They are laughable. Is that you? I read, I read a book recently by Jocko Willink who commanded Navy SEALs in uh, Iraq. And he said that there was one point where they were assigned to bring some Iraqis with them out into combat. Navy SEALs with Iraqi nationals. And he said when these men first showed up, they weren't ready for a camping trip, let alone war. They had nothing. And one thing he pointed out was they didn't even have shoes. You're not ready for war if you're not wearing your shoes. And listen, you're not ready for war with the Prince of Darkness unless you have tied this down tightly that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Are you standing firmly on that? So this is, a, this is a, an image, a metaphor for you digging in and standing firm on this conviction. If anyone comes to try and push you off of it, they are going to get a fight. You can defend your faith. You're not easily pushed over. You're not apologetic for it. You are standing firm. But it's also a picture of you're willing to go. You're willing to go with it. So these shoes are fast. And write this down. We are ready to reach the nations with the truth of the gospel. Having your feet fitted with the gospel in the Old Testament means you're going. Your feet are actually able to make you fast. And you go with this truth to tell everybody about the great victory of God. This comes from Isaiah 52 and 53. And check it out. Isaiah 52, 7 says this. We'll put it up on the screen for you. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Then it goes on to say this. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. Clearly in the Old Testament, it was the gospel message of the death of Jesus Christ that brought us peace. That's the news that we are ready to bring to the ends of the earth. Hey, are you ready to stand firm on your convictions when other people try and tell you you're wrong? And are you ready to boldly tell other people, hey, this isn't just true for me, this is true for you and for everyone who's ever lived. 
or are you ashamed of the gospel? If you're ashamed of the gospel and you're a pushover when it comes time to defend your faith, you've got no shoes on. If you're ashamed of the gospel and you won't tell anybody about it because you're too afraid of what they'll think, you don't have your shoes on. You don't have your shoes on, you're going to go sliding away. But if you put on the armor of God, then you have the peace that comes from the Prince of Peace who rode off and destroyed the enemies of earth and came back. And now he's giving you his shoes, right? He's giving you his shoes so that you can take the message to the ends of the earth. And so when the enemy comes against you, you won't give an inch. You're not moving. In fact, you're immovable on these deep spiritual convictions. Wow. Hey, are you armed for battle? Have you put on the belt of truth? Have you put on the breastplate of righteousness? And have you put on the shoes of the gospel? Good news. If so, you're invincible. Because Jesus Christ is the one guarding your soul. I want to go to the Lord and pray in response to everything we've hear, heard today. And I want you to have a chance to put on the armor of God. Let's pray together right now. Lord Jesus, thank you that you would share your very armor with us. And we know that your armor stands for your great victory that you won at the cross. You want to give us the truth. You are the truth. You want to give us your righteousness and you alone are righteous. You want to give us peace, and you alone are the Prince of Peace. So help us to clothe ourselves with Christ and to wear our faith so publicly, so proudly, that everyone will recognize that we are children of God, that the enemy will mark us because we're not going down without a fight, and that the world will ask us why we would wear such a crazy outfit in their eyes. And it is a crazy outfit. Lord, we tell the, tr the truth to the world that doesn't want to hear it. And I pray that you would help us, O oh Lord, to know you. There are some here this morning who didn't know you when they came into this room. They were relying on their religion. They were relying on their own effort. And they know now that when they stand before you on Judgment Day, they can't produce enough from their own life to qualify them for heaven. I pray right now that they would just reach up and in their own hearts say, Jesus Christ, come into my life. Give me righteousness. Give me peace. Be my truth. Be my only truth. I pray that they would ask you to save them from all of their sins, to walk, to walk them right up to the counter on Judgment Day and to show that we have been qualified for heaven, not by our works, but by our faith. Lord, I pray that you would help us deep down to know what is real, what is true, what is good, and what is loving. And that is a life lived for Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would fill us with these convictions so that we will stand firm and bring this message to the ends of the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.